0: Of all the places with tight midterm races this year, I think of Nevada as the place with all of the storylines happening at once. If you're wondering how the economy is gonna blow back on Democrats, Nevada has some of the highest gas prices in the country. If you're wondering whether Latino voters are gonna turn towards the GOP, well, Latinos make up about 20% of the electorate here. Or as John Ralston at the Nevada Independent puts it, Democrats are facing headwinds all around the country. But in Nevada, those headwinds are Category 5.
1: You talk about the canary in the coal mine for the Democrats, you have the first and only woman ever elected as a Latina to the U.S. Senate And if she can't get that Hispanic cohort to vote for her by two to one, she is probably going to lose. And it's probably a signal that, as some polls have shown, that Hispanics are not a given for the Democrats anymore. Or they're just as battered by inflation and high gas prices and just as mad at Joe Biden as the rest of uh, people are. For years,
0: Democrats have run up the score all over Nevada propelled by a wildly successful Democratic political machine. It was built by Harry Reid,
1: the late Senate majority leader. The first race I ever covered in Nevada, which was a long time ago, and I'm dating myself now, was Harry Reid's first race for the U.S. Senate. And his slogan was, independent like Nevada. Uh, and, <laughs> and so there, there there is this kind of ethos here that, you know, we don't vote for the party, we vote for the best person. And I guess it gets more
0: complicated to make that independence argument when all of the levers of power in your state are controlled by one party.
1: Well, I think that's right. Just the fact that the governor, the U.S. senator, all of the constitutional offices except for one and three of the four House seats, and by the way, those three are in play as well, are held by Democrats, makes the case easier for the Republicans to make. The question now is whether political change in Nevada
0: is overdue. You say it's been tense for a while. Like are you are you sort of looking forward to election day cuz it's going to
1: relieve some of this tension? Well, actually, I don't think election day is going to relieve the tension because the way elections work since 2020 is it's not over on election day, right? And if it's close on election day, after the returns come in, mail ballots can still come in afterwards. And there's always the danger of someone raising questions about the election. So uh, I don't feel like I'm going to be able to relax until December if I'm lucky.
0: Today on the show. Anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. To understand why so many politicos have got their eyes on Nevada this midterm cycle, I feel like you need to know a couple of things. I think you need to know the way Las Vegas voters can drive the whole state. And then you also need to know the way COVID scrambled Nevada economically, especially in Vegas. Can you explain those two
1: things? Absolutely. And I think you've hit on two very important points. First of all, people may not realize this, but when it comes to elections, Nevada is essentially three different states. There's Clark County, which is Las Vegas, which has 70 percent. Of the vote, so it's a huge driver of what's going to happen. So huge thumb on the scale. As yeah, a huge thumb on the scale, and, and and Democratic candidates have to do well in Clark County, which is the Democratic stronghold, so they can withstand uh, uh, losses, especially in the fifteen rural counties that separate Las Vegas from Reno, which is Washoe County, which is the swing county. And so, what happens in Clark County is determinative, usually, of what's going to happen, but. To your second point, uh, very early on in in the pandemic, the governor, Steve Sisolak, who is a Democrat, shut down the Las Vegas Strip. And I cannot tell you how eerie it was to walk out a bridge on the Las Vegas Strip, a pedestrian bridge, and look down and see it vacant, see no cars there. Uh, And that lasted for a few months. And we are still a one-trick pony here in Nevada and what happens in that stretch of road determines the economy. And so the economy here was crushed by COVID. Now it's come back and fairly strongly, the gaming companies are now setting records every month, but it has not come back for everybody. And so the Republicans have capitalized on that. They have blamed Steve Sisolak for uh, businesses uh, no longer existing or, be, or, or, or being crippled, for schools being shut. Uh, too long. So it's a real issue, especially in Clark County, which, by the way, has the fifth largest school district in the country.
0: It's funny because I have really clear memories from early 2020, like the spring, right after COVID hit and the lockdown started, of seeing Las Vegas's mayor on TV because she was pretty out there saying, I want to open stuff up right away.
1: When you have 2.3 million and you have lost And every one of those 150, oh my gosh, it could be your own mother, your own grandmother, your grandfather, your brother, your sister, anybody, every one of those lives is a tragic loss. But when you count 150 versus 2.3 million, you have to say, we have to open up. We have to go back. Our bus
0: drivers, our... But hasn't it been because of social... And I think for some, they saw her and they sort of said, like, oh, look at this, you know, <laughs> this person wants to do something that's potentially dangerous. But two years later, I have a different understanding, I guess, of, of Nevada and what was happening in that moment and how shutting down the Strip might rebound politically.
1: Well, here's something interesting that almost nobody outside of Nevada knows or, or really would have any reason uh, to know. The mayor of Las Vegas has absolutely no jurisdiction over the Las Vegas Strip, which is technically outside the city limits and is governed by something called the Clark County Commission. But the mayor obviously has an outsized voice in these things. And when she went on CNN with Anderson Cooper and started spouting this nonsense about using her constituents as a control group to see how bad the pandemic really was. And let's just open everything else up and see what happens. How do you know until we have a control group? We offer to be a control group. Anybody who knows anything about statistics knows that, for instance, you have a vaccine. You're offering you the, the citizens of Las Vegas to be a control group. That not only reverberated uh, through the state and, and of course, infuriated the governor, uh, but you're, as you say, people saw that and probably were confused in Peoria, New York City and Miami, right? And uh, she became a real pariah here for, for, for doing what she did.
0: So let's talk about how all this is playing out in your Senate race. You've got this Democratic incumbent, Catherine Cortez Masto. Just introduce me to her.
1: If I don't know her. So Catherine Cortez Masto uh, is is from a a political family. Her dad was a very influential figure in local government here. He was the head of the Clark County Commission, the body I just mentioned that oversaw the strip. Uh, She is a very reserved person. She is a a much more of a workhorse than a show horse, as I have said, Uh, sometimes to her detriment, Politically, because she does not seek publicity when some Democrats think she should have. She was a two-term attorney general who always wanted to be a U.S. senator. And when Harry Reid retired in 2016, he handpicked her to be his successor, and she won very narrowly by about two or two and a half points over a very high quality Republican candidate, a congressman uh, who had a military background and who probably only lost because he tried to have it both ways with Donald Trump towards the end. Uh, And so uh, she is not that well-known, which has allowed the Republicans to kind of graft onto her everything that they want in terms of the negativity. And so uh, that has hurt her. If she had defined herself better, I think, during her first term, uh, she may not be in as much trouble as she is right now. It's one thing to be a workhorse and not a show horse. It's quite another to be essentially invisible. And I think that's what some Democrats think has been her problem.
0: Yeah. And one thing that one article pointed out that I thought was really important, which was defining yourself in Nevada is important because the population is transient. They come and they go. And so it behooves you
1: to have a strong brand. That's absolutely right. There are actually uh, hundreds of thousands of new voters since Catherine Cortez Masto first ran that she had to reintroduce herself to essentially during this campaign because she had not been constantly doing that, or at least as much as a lot of U.S. senators might have been doing that. And so because there are so many demographic changes and people leaving the state and people coming in to the state, it's more difficult for politicians.
0: Hmm. So is facing a challenge from Republican Adam Laxalt. Tell me about him. My understanding is that his last name is incredibly meaningful in Nevada.
1: Well, he used to be. I'm not sure it is as much as, as, as it was in the time of his grandfather, Paul Laxalt, who was a legendary figure in Nevada as a governor and a, and a U.S. senator uh, in the uh, 70s and 80s. Adam Laxalt is his grandson, And he is the product of uh, only recently disclosed, and I mean recently, about 10 years ago affair with Pete Domenici, another Republican uh, senator. He did not grow up here. He grew up in Washington, D.C., very quietly. So he was like a secret kid? He was. Yeah, he he absolutely was until right before he decided to run for office, which is essentially why he moved back here. His mother disclosed the affair Uh, and there was a lot of speculation, which makes a lot of sense that she did that at that time to pave the way for his political career so it would not become an issue in his race. And it never did, by the way. Um, And so he moved back here to run and he ran for attorney general and won in a very, very big upset in 2014 uh, during a year in which the Democrats failed to turn out, and he won won by just a few thousand votes uh, against an up-and-coming rising Democratic star, and then almost immediately thought about running for governor and did run for governor four years later and lost fairly decisively uh, to, to the now incumbent uh, Democrat Steve Sisolak, and then immediately latched on to the Trump Organization and became the face of the Trump campaign in 2020 and essentially led the effort to spread the false uh, uh, rumors that there was widespread fraud and called press conferences and was part of lawsuits. And he is the face of the big lie in Nevada, but he has been embraced by both Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell, which has not been easy to do this cycle. He's gotten a ton of outside help because uh, Mitch McConnell wants this seat so badly.
0: Would you characterize
1: Adam Laxalt as a political extremist? Um, I would characterize him slightly differently. I think he's essentially uh, hollow, and 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 will say whatever he needs to say or is told to say by the Republican hierarchy. He cannot get past the Republican talking points. Uh, He doesn't know nearly as much about this state as someone who is running for the U.S. Senate should know about this state, but he's been able to get away with it because he essentially has been cocooned by his campaign. He has run for governor and he has run for U.S. Senate without ever having to debate his opponent. Hold it, how? Yeah, how is a very good question. They essentially have, as I said, cocooned him. They they do the feint that we'll debate under X, Y, and Z circumstances, and then and then they are shocked, shocked when their opponent won't agree. Uh, to their conditions. Now, by the way, I think Catherine Cortez Masto made a mistake in not agreeing to, to debate him in some of the venues that he wanted to, because I think she, he would have been exposed for being essentially unable to talk about substantive issues beyond saying that Joe Biden is bad and this is the radical woke leftist uh, candidate that, that that he is up against. Uh, there is a reason that he has been hidden essentially for this entire campaign from the media and from tough questions. That's not to say he hasn't done any interviews, but uh, generally friendly ones. He's on Fox and Newsmax and right wing talk radio relatively frequently, but he does almost no substantive interviews with TV and other outlets uh, because they know that he that he will get himself into trouble, which he inevitably has. What's the
0: biggest trouble he's gotten into? Like, what's his biggest flub?
1: Well, I mean, he has he has been caught saying things like Roe versus Wade was a joke. Uh, he has been caught saying things like, "I am going to sue to challenge this election to make it close." It's not that he's not polished. I just don't think he's very bright, and that comes out in these interviews.
0: After the break, how one union's get out the vote efforts or lack thereof could shift the balance of power in this state. Part of what scares Nevada Democrats about Adam Laxalt, the GOP's candidate for Senate, is how he plans to win. As John said, Laxalt's only talking to people who agree with him, right-wing news sources. And the thing is, that may be all he has to do. Back in 2014, when Laxalt won the attorney general's race, he did that by energizing rural voters, and then he benefited from low turnout everywhere else. Democrats look at this midterm year And they see a similar lack of enthusiasm from their core constituents. That puts a ton of pressure on Las Vegas' Democratic machine. This is a machine that relies on the work of one institution in particular, the Culinary Union, which represents 60,000 hospitality workers from Vegas to Reno.
1: Yeah, listen, it is the most potent machine in Nevada, mostly because it has so many members and they have a very, very concerted registration program to get as many of their members registered as they can and then to turn them out. It has been an important component of the Democratic machine since Harry Reid remade the party in about 2006 or 2008 or so. Uh, The Culinary says this year that they're doing more than they've ever done to turn out their voters. With mail ballots now being universal here in Nevada, they're running a mostly mail campaign and and, and they have a captive audience, right? They can bring their members into the union hall and say, here is who we support. If you want, fill out your mail ballots here and uh, we can mail them for you. We can drop them off. Uh, for you. Again, I would say, despite all of their boasts so far, and they they are saying they're doing more than they've ever done, there is no evidence yet that there is a massive turnout among Democrats in Clark County.
0: Hmm. How has the union demonstrated its strength in the past? Like, what's a good example of when the machine's working?
1: Well, it is the Hispanic turnout machine, essentially, in Nevada. And the Hispanic turnout has been robust enough and so slanted in favor of Democrats that it has carried many candidates uh, to victory or lengthened their margin of victory, going all the way back to Barack Obama in 2008, but Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden as well, and several gubernatorial and U.S. Senate candidates.
0: It's hard for me to believe that the union isn't doing... A ton of reach-out work right now. So when they go out and knock doors and get people to come to the Union Hall and talk to them about this Senate
1: race in particular, what does that look like? Well, we, we've done a piece on this, and, and it does seem to be a very intense and focused and widespread uh, effort. But they say they've knocked on a million doors, something like that. Uh, and as I said to one of their uh, reps are recently in, but how many of those are getting slammed in your face? The bottom line is, is there's a lot of hostility towards the Democrats uh, here in Clark County for some of the reasons that we've talked about. But the culinary insists that it its program is going to work. Uh, now, there's still time. But one of the reasons the Democrats did so well here in 2020, and again, it's not an apples to apples comparison because it's a presidential race, is because they were able to overwhelm the Republicans in mail ballots. Uh, they are winning mail ballots significantly this time, but the volume is way, way down.
0: You've flagged that one way you can see a bit of desperation from Democrats is these mailers you saw like you tweeted about this one of these mailers even threatened like we will know if you don't vote you know not like your vote itself is secret but we keep tabs on whether you vote or not kind of like a elf on the shelf approach to electioneering i guess tell me more about that
1: yeah you know, there, there's a couple of tactics that that, that i've raised red flags about, and one of those is the one you just mentioned by America Votes, which is a national progressive group. And they've done this before, but they're doing it both on TV and in mail uh, now where they're essentially saying, uh, we're going to check after the election and see if you voted like your neighbor's. Are voting as if they're going to out people uh, for for not voting. It's a very obnoxious tactic. But the culinary, whom we've been talking about, did something really, really uh, disingenuous. They have they have been outspoken against uh, Joe Lombardo, the Republican candidate for governor, who is uh, the sheriff of Clark County, and they are really, in some ways, even nasty about what they say about him and how he's handled uh, immigration issues. Uh, But they sent a mail piece to only Republican voters pointing out that they endorsed Joe Lombardo when he ran for sheriff and essentially implied he is soft on immigration. Designed to turn off Republican voters, obviously. That is really some, that takes chutzpah to do something like that.
0: It sounds a lot like what Democrats were doing early on in primary season, where they were trying to boost MAGA candidates by running these ads that were like, well, he's really MAGA. <laughs> and with the idea that you would see that as a voter who was Trump aligned and say, like, S- sign me up. Um, It sounds like this is a tactic that's just it just keeps popping up a lot of different places,
1: a lot of different ways. It's certainly right. And they certainly did that in this state. And uh, they they may be very sorry they did it because we have a real uh, roster of horribles on the Republican side running for statewide office that the Democrats uh, promoted, a complete conspiracy theorist who's running for secretary of state, uh, an almost unhinged uh, attorney general candidate, and a candidate for state treasurer who has said all kinds of crazy stuff. She's an election denier, and and she is so familiar with healthcare issues that she once uh, said that cancer is a fungus that can be cu- cured by injecting baking soda. Uh, so th- this is the roster of candidates that the Democrats promoted in the primary, thinking they'd be easier to beat, and, and they and they may have to eat crow after the election.
0: Hmm. One of the things that's interesting about some of the tactics that you've flagged is that they really put a focus on the fact that the Culinary Union, progressive groups, it seems like their big concern isn't folks going over to the Republican side, but folks simply not showing up, that like that may be the biggest problem they face.
1: Well, it may be a little of both, but certainly they're they're being plagued now by by, uh, low turnout as I as I said. And, you know, whether people are just uh, uh, th- th- they're upset and they don't want to vote, you know, just uh, the disappointment in Joe Biden so far, whatever it is, uh, they're not turning out. I
0: can't help but think how strange it would be if somehow Latino voter turnout was responsible for getting rid of this Latina senator. Is that something you're hearing Democrats talk about?
1: Well, Republicans are certainly very confident that that's going to occur. Catherine Cortez Masto's team and the Democrats say that she's doing fine with Hispanics. She's going to get 60 percent or more, which should be enough. But uh, listen, the polling shows that Hispanics are, are, are shifting away from the Democratic Party, or at least some Hispanics are. It doesn't take a majority. Republicans don't have to get a majority, but if they get over 40 percent, that's a real warning sign for her and other Democrats.
0: Are any Democrats expressing regret about some of their tactics here of boosting the more extreme Republican candidates thinking that'll make this an easy
1: race for us? I have not heard a peep of regret from anybody, at least not yet. And my guess is If indeed these candidates that they help prop up win, they will say, well, they would have won those primaries anyhow, which may or may not be true, but will be weak tea uh, after the election, I would think.
0: John Ralston, I'm really grateful for your point of view here. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: My pleasure, thanks for having me.
0: John Ralston is the CEO of the Nevada Independent. And that's our show. If you are a fan of What Next, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. So head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus and sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Del Shad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Anna Phillips, Jared Downing, Tori Dominguez, and Colton Salas. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. I'm handing the reins over to Lizzie O'Leary and the What Next TBD crew. Make sure you tune into them tomorrow and Sunday. I'll be back on Monday.